Well, good day, everybody, and welcome back to the extras. My name is Sam, and I'm Jack, and uh, it's good to be back with you. We are in each other's presence, nicely socially distanced down the other end of a table. Good uh, solid two meters there, Sam. Well at done. Least two meters, yeah. And we've got some new microphones, which have enabled us to be a little bit more socially distant. And so, uh, hopefully, you enjoy the, the the sound quality today, Jack. We've got a huge episode in front of us uh, coming out the back of a, a really cool week where we did um, church online on Zoom uh, last weekend. Give us a bit of a, a recap of of Sunday and all the things that we've been uh, covering. That's right. So no YouTube church service video. We were all in Zoom. That let us do some cool things. We got to sing in Zoom together. We got to spend some time asking questions and answering questions. We were looking at the back half of 2 Peter chapter 3. So we wrapped up the letter of 2 Peter, got to do some solid thinking about the end of the world and the new creation we're looking forward to, some really big questions. And correspondingly, we've had a lot of big questions come in for today. Yeah, lots of good questions here. We've got 10 questions that we're going to try and tackle with you today. The last couple of weeks we've had one or two, so we've been able to go in in depth and go deep. Um, Even though these are deep things, we're going to do our best to sort of move through them um, and uh, very happy if you've got further things you want to get in touch with us um, in light of this episode. That'd be, that'd be excellent. Uh, but it might be helpful to have 2 Peter 3 around, uh, open on your phone or on your, with your Bible open um, as, as we dig in. Uh, so let's get into it, Jack. Um, first couple of questions here, um, all about the day of the Lord, mm. um, which we, we see there in, uh, well, day of God in, in verse 12. Um, what, what is that? What is the day of God? What's the day of the Lord in Scripture? Great question. It's a term that first pops up in the Bible, as far as I know, in the Old Testament and in the prophets particularly. You'll find the the Old Testament prophets often looking forward to this this coming day. On that day is the kind of language they use all the time. A verse Mm. like Joel chapter 2, verses 31 and 32. You might know these words because they're quoted in Acts chapter 2. Joel says, The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So he's pointing forward to this coming day when God's going to judge his enemies, when he's going to deliver his people. There's all sorts of expectation that the Old Testament prophets load onto this day. Like when you chase through all those references, there's a lot of things that are going to happen. You come into the New Testament, some of the things that the prophets were expecting happen when Jesus arrives and when he's doing his work for us on the cross and in his resurrection. But in the New Testament, this language gets applied to point forward again to mm. the coming day when Jesus will come back again. So when you see those words in the New Testament, they're generally referring to the last day that we're still waiting for when Jesus will come on the clouds to, to bring an end to this age mm. and to usher in the new. Yeah, so you've got two senses there, really. It's, it's really all to do with the coming of God, and, and part of that is the coming of Jesus, but now we are looking forward to the, the return of Jesus that, that we wait for. Um, and that's what Peter's talking about here in, in verse 12. Um, now, a few questions around that. Um, Someone's texted in the question, look, how do we talk to people who are very fixated on signs uh, that sort of line up to the coming of the the day of the Lord uh, in light of Peter's point that the the day will come like a thief? Yeah, another really helpful question, especially in a time like this. I mean, you may have heard people over the course of this year talking about, you know, the signs of the end of days. You think about the kind of year we've had. Mm. We've had bushfires and floods and, and now a pandemic some people out there may be thinking, yeah, you know, it really feels like apoc- apocalyptic. Absolutely. This is, all the, this is all the stuff Revelation was always talking about. Exactly, yeah. And it's an important question because that issue of signs, it is a, a biblical discussion. The main time it comes up is in the, the big discussion that Jesus has with his, with his disciples 
when he comes out of the temple. Uh, a chapter like Matthew 24 records it. It's often called the, the Olivet Discourse because it happens on the, the Mount of Olives. Mm. And the disciples ask Jesus, Matthew 24, verse 3, you know, tell us, when will this happen? He's talking about the destruction of the temple. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus starts talking about the signs of the end of this age when he'll come back. And there's lots of things that happen in this chapter. So from verse 6, Jesus says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. There's all these sorts of signs that Jesus talks about, wars and famine. And, and in Revelation, something like plague and disease is something that comes up too. So part of the question is, okay, well, how do we know, you know which wars, which plagues? You know, when is the end coming? Mm. It's worth asking, you look back at the last 2,000 years since Jesus did come the first time. Could you find a, a week in history where those kinds of signs weren't happening? Mm. Wars, disease, famine, these are the kinds of things that have characterized the human experience for as long as we've been around. So it seems to me that what Jesus is saying is all these kinds of things happening all the time. The point is, Jesus' return could happen anytime. These signs are around us constantly. The way the New Testament says is that we are in the last days now. I mean, Peter even uses that language, right? In, in 2 Peter 3, verse 3, he says, the scoffers will come in the last days. Because mm. that's the days we're in. We're, we're, we're living in the end times. The signs are around us because this is the end of history. It's been stretching out for a while. You know, we've had 2,000 years of last days. But the point is that these signs show us any moment now, Jesus could come and bring this age to an end. So how do we talk to people who are, who are very fixated on signs? What, what do we want to point them towards, do you think? I think like any time we're disagreeing about what the scriptures say, we want to come to people with, with love and with a spirit of gentleness. You know, we don't come in saying, oh, you know, you're just wrong. You, you need to change your mind. Like we always want to be pointing people back to the scriptures and asking them, you know, together we want to wrestle and, and work out what is God saying to us here. I think this particular question, like lots of questions, it is an issue of how do we read the Bible? So a passage like Matthew 24, there's a lot of images, there's a lot of, you know, apocalyptic type language what do you do with that some people read that passage and say look this is the bible this is god's word i just want to take it at face value we have to ask bigger questions like what what genre is this bible passage what what is the author trying to communicate to us here because sometimes that question you know it's more than just the words on the page are what the the author is drawing us to i mean we'll keep talking about that as we look at two peter because it's relevant to some of these other questions here as well and i guess it's probably helpful to keep pointing them back to the number of times that this idea of a thief um is, is often attached to this discussion about mm. when the end will come. So that even though there are these, you know, bits like Matthew's Gospel, which which uh, hint at that the experience of the last days, of the difficulty and the, the, the suffering and destruction of, of, of um, that, that will endure in the run-up to the to the final day, Jesus keeps saying, as does Paul, as does Peter, um, it's like going to be like a thief in the night, um, that even though those things will be happening, when it does happen, you'll be like, oh, this is it. Like, it, it won't be something that you'll be like, yes, I knew it was tomorrow. Like, it, mm. it will be a surprise, yeah. um, hence the, the description that we get. And we need to keep helping people to, to remember that as they, uh, as they think that through, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, here in uh, Chapter 3, there's a bit of a description of, of the day, um, and uh, you get that in, in the second half of verse 12. Uh, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Um, how literal is that description of destruction? Yeah, another really good question. It's this vivid description of fire and judgment. 
And the question, I guess, is, yeah, on that day, is this, is this you know, if I point a video camera up at the sky, is it, you know, is 2P to 3 what's going to play through the lens? Mm. I guess that's the question, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, it's similar to the last one. Uh, there, there are lots of passages in the New Testament that give us descriptions of what the end will look like. And you read through Revelation and there's, there's so many different images of, of what this last day will, will, will look like. You know, it talks about, Revelation 16 particularly talks about, you know, some, you know, Sometimes the half the stars in the sky are going to be swept out. The you know it's going to rain hail and blood and you know there's there's all these different images. And when you start to put them all together, you get a pretty wacky picture. Some of them I think are you know flatly contradictory if they are all you know extremely literal. This is exactly what you will see kind of descriptions. So again, I think it's a question of genre. These these passages they're typically drawing on Old Testament imagery and this this genre which we call apocalyptic, which is very strange pictures of you know cosmic destruction and stars falling out of the sky and the sky being rolled up like a scroll. They're passages that don't seem to be trying to give us an exact description of what's going to happen. They're passages that seem to be trying to communicate some truth about what's going to happen, but not necessarily the, the exact picture, mm. if that makes so, sense. So it's going to be a cataclysmic moment regardless. Like when, when it happens, we're going to be like, whoa, this is it. Things are this, Something big is happening right now. But mm. the exact sort of optics of what you see with your, with your eyeballs at that, at that moment, um, it, it's hard because it, it's holding multiple images together. And some of those images, um, we were talking about this just before the episode, if you take a different... Um, some of the different images around the end times, you know, one of the images around um, what's going to happen to the devil and his fallen angels is, you know, they're going to have at, at the same time um, fire and yet blackest darkness. And how do you put those t- two images together? Fire gives off light, but blackest darkness, there'll be no light. And how do you hold, both are true and get a sense of the judgment coming upon God's enemies, but they're not designed, I don't think, to, to sort of paint you a picture, but, but to give you a sense. Um, yeah. And I think that's similar here. So I think what's the sense, the, the question to ask is, what's the sense that Peter is trying to get here is just cataclysmic um, uh, kind of, you'll be very sure that it's the end, um, that you'll know that this is the, the time that the, where the old earth has, has run its course and it is time for the new. Um, that, that seems to be the, the image that, that Peter's trying to paint for us. That's right. And it's tempting to hear that and think, well, it's not literal, okay, so we don't need to pay that much attention to it. But don't fall into that trap. Like, this is, this is not a literal description, I think, but it is very much a true description. Yeah. And I think that means that what actually will happen is, is not going to be less than this. If anything, it's going to be more. You kind of get this sense that the, the apostles are trying to, they're almost like clutching at words, trying to describe something that's going to be both so glorious and so terrible mm. that, you know, human words are scarcely adequate to contain it. So they're, they're drawing on all this imagery to try and give us a sense, but what actually happened, I think, will be yeah. indescribable in a sense, and they're trying to describe something indescribable. And, and that is part of the, the issue here, that human language is often not quite sufficient to ca- capture up the, the uh, you know, this is going to be a great and terrible day, says Joel, um, the, the, the terribleness of it is sometimes we, we, we lack for words and we're trying to capture it up with images. So rather than make, saying, oh, it's going to be easier, it, it may actually be much more um, yeah, terrifying than we can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, following on from that, um, how are the, the, the current physical heavens and earth that uh, we, we sort of live in related to or not related to the new heaven and new earth that Peter promises that uh, we're looking forward to in, in verse 13? Yeah, again, a fantastic question. The The picture that you get into Peter is this big destruction. He talks about, you know, the, the heavens disappearing and then you get this new heavens. So 2 Peter does seem to paint a, a really 
almost like a, a clean break in some ways. You know, the old heavens disappears, there'll be a new heaven. And that's the, the question that people ask, you know, is this talking about a complete annihilation? You know, the first creation is just going to be dissolved in this fiery soup and then God's almost going to start again, all right? Let's, you know, new heaven, new earth, fresh start, let's, let's do it right this time. That's, you know, that's, that's pushing the point too far, but that, that's the kind of uh, description that you could come away from 2 Peter with. Uh, I'm convinced that that's not necessarily what we are expecting to happen at the end of the world. This is another ish- area where we've we got to kind of look at the whole Bible's teaching and, and start to bring together some of the different passages. Because there is a range. I mean, you have these passages that talk in very discontinuous terms. The old creation, the new creation, there's not a lot of continuity between the two, if any. I mean, Revelation 20, 21 is another place. You know, I saw the new heavens and the new earth, and God says, I'm making all things new because... The old order of things has passed away. But there are some other passages that, that speak uh, in a bit more of a continuous way, as in the old creation is going to relate quite closely to the new. So in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is talking about the future glory that is to be revealed. He talks about how the creation that we're in now is waiting in eager expectation for the future when the children of God will be revealed. Verse 20, he says, "...the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice." but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So in Romans 8, at least, there's this expectation that the present creation we're in now with, you know, the, the curse that is on the creation because of human sin, the earthquakes, famines, pestilence, all those things that, you know, bring frustration, the, the, the experience of suffering... Romans 8 says the creation is looking forward to being liberated from that, being liberated into, into freedom, into this, this new world that's not going to be plagued by those things. And that sounds a lot more like this present creation is going to be in continuity with the creation to come. It's going to be different. There's, there's, you know, there's going to be radical renovation happening, but there is some sort of continuity emphasized with what's to come. And, and it seems to me, so Peter's point is, he talks about the, the destruction of, um, by fire. So there seems, this is a, I think sometimes when people talk about continuity, they, they sort of sometimes remove the fire element as if as if God's not going to sort of come with this destructive judgment that, that is sort of um, talked about here. Um, but it's interesting, if you go back to Noah's story in um, Genesis um, chapter 6 to 9, um, the writer of Genesis talks about the destruction of the world at that point by flood. He's, and, and actually God's promise is, I, I will never destroy the world again by water. Um, now Peter here says he'll do it by fire. Um, but it's interesting, it doesn't necessarily mean that the globe stopped hanging in, in, in the earth at that point where, uh, where, where God destroyed the world by water. He did destroy the world and everyone on it and, and brought his judgment upon sin at that point and it was a cataclysmic event and, and it's written almost as an uncreation of the, of the if you, as you read it in, uh, in Genesis, it sort of un, undoes what God did in, in Genesis 1 and yet it, the, the world... Ca- continued on and so there seems to be a way in which the bible is able to talk about the destruction of the world in in a sense where the world is renewed and carries on and both are happening at the same time is, is that fair to say i think so so i think that shows us that this biblical destruction word group doesn't necessarily mean total annihilation we kind of hear it like it is that mm. like that's kind of how we typically use the word destroyed yes but it seems like sometimes the bible is talking more about like a a purifying and that's mm. often the fire imagery as well you know you put your 
you kind of dirty bit of gold ore into the fire and it comes out as this, you know, sparkling new pure yeah. thing. But it's gone through a savage destruction yes. to get there. Yeah. And that, that feels like the imagery that we're talking about. There is a destructive element and it's destruction of sin and the, the wickedness of the creation and yet it emerges as a new heavens and a new earth. Yeah. yeah. I think there's there's... There's big things at stake in this kind of discussion. It is tricky. I mean, it can get absurd at some points. Like, if I die tomorrow and my bones end up in the ground and Jesus doesn't come back for another 500 years, when you, you know, like, there's not going to be a lot left to be called mm. out of the grave at that point, right? In fact, like, you've probably become something else in the meantime. Yeah, I'll be a tree or yeah. some, you know, some other future person, that kind of thing. Like, yep. it, yeah, I don't think the Bible is trying to necessarily tell us, oh, every atom that you were is going to be brought back together. Like, mm. what happens when atoms from two different people have to go to something, you know, like, yeah. we can push it into the absurd. Yeah. I think our question's got to be, what's, the, what's, what's the, the big emphasis about God and how he works that the Bible's trying to give us here? And I take it that the, the emphasis throughout the biblical story is that God is the one who is going to redeem this creation. Because the world that God made is good. That's what we see in Genesis 1. God saw what he made. It was very good. This world is not going to be, you know, finally destroyed and, you know, taken away with, all right, you know, I guess we stuff this one up. Let's start again. It seems like what God is doing is he's going to restore this creation and do away with sin and overcome the curse so that he can bring this creation back to the glory that it originally was going to be and more. God's the, the redeeming God. I yeah. think that's the thing that's at stake here. Yeah. I guess there's a couple of other things at stake um, and, and there's bigger discussions than we've probably got time for today. But two, two things that come to my mind. Um, one is um, so, some people um, need to hear this passage in light of Actually, here Peter is, I think, affirming a, a materialness to, to the, the... There is a new heavens and a new earth. So it's not a spiritual experience in, in heaven. Um, and we talked about this a little bit, I think, on the podcast last week, but a, but a very material existence that's ahead. And yet, the other side of the coin is some people hear this kind of, um, you know, God, God is very pro-material, very pro-the earth, and therefore they, they have a slightly off-kilter um, kind of emphasis on therefore we want to redeem the arts and we want to get into painting beautiful pictures for the glory of God. Now, I love art and I love beautiful pictures, but Peter's focus is not so much on that kind of thing, but on godliness. That That's really where he wants to um, take us, which is where we're going to move to as in this discussion next. But um, the focus, even though the, the new world is going to be a very material, physical world, is not so much do beautiful architecture and make beautiful pictures, but... Um, be godly people that that's the focus of where peter wants to take us in line of that so we've got to in all of these discussions about the new earth we, we've got to keep the, the biblical focus on on what matters most yeah absolutely okay uh let, let's let's power on um and uh we, we've got here uh why is the command in verse 11 to be holy and godly rather than to trust jesus i mean if, if destruction's coming why doesn't he say so turn to jesus why does he say be holy and godly yeah, I love the instinct of that kind of question because that's also the right response. The rest of the Bible does point us to that. If judgment's coming, you need to find someone who's going to save you on that day. You think yeah. of something like 1 Thessalonians 1, you yeah, need to turn point. to yep. Jesus who rescues you from the wrath to come. Absolutely, you've got to trust him. And yet, the emphasis that Peter lands with is not that. And there is something surprising about that. Uh, and I think the fact that it surprises us tells you maybe we don't understand and prize the holiness and godliness that we've been called to enough because peter he says it in in no uncertain terms verse 11 since everything will be destroyed in this way what what sort of people ought you to be live holy and godly lives Mm. it really matters he's talking about this this fiery destruction that's going to expose the deeds have been done on the earth and he says you must live godly lives i guess one of the things that we feel at stake in that is well it sounds a bit like salvation by works right like is peter really saying that oh i have to 
be holy and godly and me trying hard to be holy is the thing that will save me on that last day. And that's not quite the right way to look at it. I mean, yeah, the rest of the New Testament is clear that we are not able to please God on our own. We need God's help. It's only by being justified by faith. That's the only way to be saved. And yet, again and again in the New Testament, in passages like 2 Peter 3, we see that those who have been justified by faith will and must grow in godliness and live holy and god with godly lives in light mm. of the day that is to come absolutely and, and so uh, which sort of leads us actually into our next question which is um someone's asked look why why does the future have to shape the way that we live um is it supposed to motivate us because the future is going to be good so we want to be sort of living in light of it now or could it be that we we are disqualified from it if we don't let the future shape us um or, or something else and so you, you sort of alluded to that in your answer in that we're living godly lives because of the future. But yeah, why, why should the future shape now? I think both the options given in that, that question are right. And mm. there, there isn't one answer here. And this is, this is one of the things that I love about the Bible, especially on this point. The way that the New Testament calls us to live a godly life, it's not like there's just one reason why you should live a godly life. There, mm. are, there are lots of reasons. And you see at least those two here in 2 Peter. Like, yes, on the last day, ungodliness will be judged and destroyed. Therefore, have no part in that. Run mm. away from that. That's the motivating thing about the, the, the judgment to come. Yeah. On the other hand, the new heavens and earth is going to be a place where righteousness dwells and it's going to be wonderful. So don't you want to be a part of that now? It is going to be so good. So that should motivate us to, to live godly, godly lives now as well. Both those things are true. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, yeah, there's more than one reason to live a godly life. And, and it's fascinating for me. This is something I've been just, you know, sometimes when, as you read the Bible, various themes just jump out at you over and over. God just seems to be showing you something. For me, I've been just noticing the 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 importance of a godly life for the Christian. And I think sometimes uh, it's something that, I, that I've not always uh, fully appreciated about both how good it is to, to be godly and how um, how precious righteous living is um, and uh, yeah and I think it's something that Peter has just kept um, he, he keeps making this link between uh, the, the fact that false teaching is often tied up with godless living whereas uh, the truth of the gospel will, will result in, in righteous living and, and Peter's not alone in that obviously um, but that's been a big theme through through to Peter something that I've been really um, and, and just hearing the the make every effort uh, language, which is here in chapter three, you know, he says, "Make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace in, with Him." In uh, in verse fourteen, which kind of echoes the language of chapter one: "Make every effort in in your godliness." And uh, something that I'm, yeah, just been keenly aware of lately. So good, good to be reminded of. Yeah, don't think that God's grace is cheap. That's the the language we sometimes use. Cheap grace means thinking, "Oh, look, yeah, I'm forgiven, so whatever." Yeah. No, the the life that God's called us to is far greater than that uh, we're, we're called to be holy we need to take seriously that effort yeah make every effort make every effort all right uh let, let's keep moving along we got, we got uh, four to go we'll see if we can knock them off in the next couple of minutes for you um what will christians experience be on that last day in light of this very destructive language on this you know the uh, day of the lord what, what will i what will i experience jack it's easy to to hear these words and tremble i think this this fiery destruction that is to come and for the christian there's there's lots to say but at least one thing to say is that 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 feeling of trepidation as you hear about the judgment of god is right don't think that christians will be will not be judged on the last day one of the things that the new testament makes clear to us is that we will uh 2 corinthians 
5, I think, says we, you know, we must all sit before the judgment seat of Christ. Mm. Paul says that to Christians. Hebrews 9, 27, will, will, mankind is destined to die once and after that face judgment. You, you will be judged. That's right. And that's, yeah, that's why the day of the Lord is great and terrible. It, it is a, a, a day that we should, in some sense, approach with this, this reverent fear because it's, yeah, this is serious stuff. Don't take it lightly. That's not the only thing to say, though, because as Peter keeps going, verse 13, I mean, so far we've been focusing on the, the bit at the end of that verse about the new heaven and new earth, but don't miss what he says the start of verse 13. He's just talked about how the heavens and the elements will be destroyed. Verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. For us as Christians, that fiery day of destruction, as terrible as it will be to give an account to God of our sin and the way that we've failed him throughout our lives that is also the day when all of god's promises uh, will finally be realized for the christian that that day will be the sam i think you said something on sunday like it's the it's the gateway into Mm. this new mode of life yeah i I think that's right it's the dawning of 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 a new age at that moment and yet it it is the 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 way into it is through this great and terrible day that that we will all experience and 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 i at one level you can't even quite imagine it to, to be standing there before the glory of god and the, the judgment seat of Christ is, is is how it's described, and and the books being opened, both the book, the Lamb's Book of Life, those who are the elect people of God who will be welcomed into the kingdom, and yet even they will will have their their deeds judged. Um, that won't be the basis of their salvation, but I mean that day will come before we go to enjoy this new home of righteousness in in the new heavens and the new earth, and so. It is sort of yeah the the, the pathway the gateway into glory um, that but but yes we we don't sort of just bypass that and go straight into the new creation there will be this terrible day which we will all experience um, and yet for those who are in Christ there'll be this beautiful moment where Christ says this is one of mine and my death on the cross paid and shields this one from the the, the terrible wrath of God and that will be a momentous moment that, that we can't quite I can't quite wrap my head around and, and imagine it on this side but but it is coming and it is the, that is what happens first before we go to glory yeah so I think in summary the Christian experience yeah it's something we should look to with seriousness and with that reverent fear but yeah. on balance we look forward to it because as hard as that day will be it is the day we will be ushered into the presence of Jesus to be with him forever so Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Bring Lord on. Jesus. Well, to, to that end, the next question, um, Peter here says, speed the day of coming. Um, if God is waiting to give people an opportunity of salvation, to be patient and be merciful, um, doesn't speeding on the day sort of infer the opposite, that, that, we, that we want the opposite? Um, what about the, the next generation who'd miss out? Um, yeah, do, do we really want God to hurry up? I mean, it's possible to to want the day to come in a really kind of hostile and unhelpful way. Like, you know, kind of come Lord Jesus, we really want you to smash all those terrible people out there. I think that's uh, the wrong kind of speeding. Um, Yeah. As we speed on the coming of the day, we do that knowing that we ourselves, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I, it's only through the precious blood of Jesus that I'll be saved on that day. So we, we, we want that day to come knowing that it's going to mean the destruction of the ungodly and knowing that that means, you know, people, I love and care about, you know, please God save them before that day. But if they are not in Christ on that day, then yeah, that's a, that's going to be a, a, a absolutely devastating day. And it's, it's hard to, in one sense, to long for that day to come on that level. But again, on balance, the scriptures tell us to keep praying. Yeah. Come Lord Jesus. And we do look forward to that day. 
partly because it's going to be the end of sin and suffering, partly because it's the day when Jesus, our King, will finally be uh, you know, enthroned with every knee bowing to him just the way that it should be. Mm. I mean, that's, that's something that, yeah, that struck me the other night. And, and that's one, I think it's easy to kind of just focus on ourselves and our own experience and that of our loved ones on that day. But think about it from Jesus' point of view. Like he is still, you know, reigned as king over this creation, but this creation which is still in rebellion against him. And, and that's wrong. Like we long for sin to end because it, it's against the, the glory of our, our king who we love. Like come Lord Jesus and, and take your rightful place and let every knee bow just the way it should be. That's, that's what we're hanging out for as well. That's why we want yeah to speed on the day too. Amen. And it's good to keep that Godward attend, uh, kind of uh, focus in terms of that actually sometimes we, we're a little bit too um, centered on ourselves, aren't we? What's this going to mean for us? And that, that they're right and good questions to ask because God loves us and does care about us and is gracious towards us. But ultimately, um, he, he cares, and rightly so, right, about the glory of the Lord Jesus being honored and having all knees bow to him as he deserves. And that's what's, what's going to happen on that day. Um, and, and I take it, um, and we sort of we did speak to this briefly last week, um, none of the elect will miss out. God, God knows those who are his. Uh, he knows before the creation of the world those whom he will save. And so when he returns, um, those who, whom he has called, that, that he will have yeah, timed it to perfection in, in response to your prayers and, and, and our um, yearning for the day of Christ and in accordance with those that he chooses to save. God, God's, God's got it. So we can trust him and just pray fervently that, that he will come. Amen. All right, uh, we're going to flick on to the last one here, Jack. And um, there's a little aside that, that Peter makes here about uh, Paul's writings. There's a beautiful little section of Scripture where he says uh, that, that Paul writes with, with the wisdom that God gave him, verse 15, and he writes uh, in all his letters speaking of these matters. Uh, sometimes his letters contain things that are, that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable uh, people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destructions. A lovely little aside there, affirming Paul's words as scripture, which is just a great um, uh, section. Um, someone's helpfully uh, written in, look, how can I understand Paul if Peter can't understand him? Yeah, a wonderful question. I, I mean, it, the thought just came to me. I feel like it's a little bit rich for, uh, after all of the questions we've had about 2 Peter 3, for Peter to point the finger at Paul as someone who's hard to understand. I mean, look at the kind of things we've just been wrestling now. I mean, Peter's not exactly a walk in the park either, hey? Yeah, that's it, that's it. I think the, I mean, the important word in that question is um, can't understand him because that's not quite what Peter says. Peter doesn't say you can't understand Paul. He says that Paul is hard to understand. And that's yeah. a really crucial difference. He is understandable. But it's difficult, mm. and that means it's going to take some work. So the, the way to approach those parts of the Bible which are hard to understand is to, to be willing to work at it, to, to read and read again and read again and again, to engage our minds. We've got to be working hard to look at the words and the, the conjunctions and the therefores and the becauses and understanding how it fits together. It's also a spiritual task. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 says that, you know, the one who knows the mind of God is the Spirit of God. Without the Holy Spirit, we're not going to understand what someone like Paul has said because he's written the words that God has given him. We need to keep praying that God would open our eyes to what he has to say. And as we wrestle with the words, with the help of the Spirit, we can grow in our understanding of these things but we shouldn't expect it to be quick and easy. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and we, we call that the doctrine of illumination, don't we? That, that God's Spirit uh, opens up for us what God has caused through Paul and, and uh, the other writers of Scripture to be written down. Um, and, uh, and I think there, the other thing to, to sort of note at this point is that Paul, as do the other Bible writers, they, they write of the things of God. Um, and God is, 
is the most glorious, magnificent, huge, complex being that that you can possibly comprehend. In fact, you you can't even fully comprehend him. And and um, there's a sense in which, as Paul writes of these things that he writes about, you know, the mercy of God, the grace of God, atonement, predestination, these fabulous, great topics that 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 Paul's letters cover. Um, he is writing about a God who, whose ways are above our ways and whose mind is above our mind and yet who condescends, we call this the doctrine of accommodation, he, he comes down to our human level and uses our, our sort of shabby human language to, to communicate things about himself through people like Paul. And so it's not really, I think our expectation should be that as we read the Bible, we are dealing with a God whose ways are so far above our ways that we should expect to be challenged and we should expect to find this um, rigorous as, as, we, as we wrestle with God. And yet at the same time, um, even a child can know God and can, can say the most profound truth that Jesus loves me, this I know because the Bible tells me so. Um, and yet you can go as deep into you know, multiple PhDs and still not have reached the bottom. Um, so there's a sense in which, yeah, even the simplest mind can engage with God in the scriptures and yet the most complex mind will struggle because God is so far above us. And, and so I think we've got to watch the expectation that if we think, oh, look, I, sh- I should expect to read the Bible and just find this a piece of cake. Um, I, don't, I don't think that's the way that, that we should come to the Bible. We should come and expect, I'm going to deal with the God of the universe. This might be a bit of work. That's right. I think even Paul knew that as his experience. You look at something like the end of Romans chapter 11, where Paul's been talking about all these incredible hard truths of predestination. In Romans 11 verse 33, he gets to the end of that discussion and just breaks out in praise. Yeah. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. And it's like Paul says, well, I've said as much as I can and I still have not said anything close to anything. This God is so big and so hard to understand. To him be the glory. Yeah, that, that's it. And so uh, I think coming with, with that expectation and that hope, and, and that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing to go, wow, my mind feels a bit bent as I'm dealing with God. We must never think. Sometimes you hear people at the end of church go, oh, that was just too hard. I, I, don't, I didn't enjoy that. Actually, that's a good thing. If God is blowing your mind and actually making you work hard, that's because you're starting to come somewhat near to who he really is, that he is bigger than you and better, like just more complex than you. And that's a good and right experience to have, isn't it? So we want to, we want to celebrate that at one level. Yeah. Let's keep working hard. Um, And then at the same time, hear Peter's warning, which is that the danger is that is to then distort it. Um, And that's what Peter is actually warning against here, that people will take these hard things and go, well, I'm going to twist it either to make it easier or simpler uh, or just to make it say something that it doesn't say because it's it's tricky and requires a bit of work. And so we've got to keep the context of what what Peter's saying here, which is just because it's hard, don't, don't therefore twist it and change it and make it say something it doesn't. All right, well, that's probably a good point to end um, our, our walk through to Peter together. Thanks, Jack, for all your work. Um, uh, next couple of weeks, where are we heading? So we're about to dive back into the book of Genesis, starting mm. a new series this Sunday. We're picking it up at Genesis chapter 25, where we're introduced to Jacob. He's going to be the key character throughout this next whole series. We're getting into some profound mysteries again this week, thinking about predestination, some of the things we've even started to dip into today. The big picture, we're going to meet someone who wrestles with God and he's going to help us as we wrestle with God as well. Excellent. So looking forward to that. We're back on St. Paul's online. Um, so starting on Zoom, onto YouTube for, for uh, our teaching and that kind of stuff and then back to, to Zoom to finish. And uh, we're doing something a little bit different with the teaching. Uh, we're going to experiment, aren't we? Uh, 
We are, yeah. So if you log on and see two preachers sitting there in the chairs, please don't freak out. That is what's happening. You're not seeing double. Mike Everett and I will both be together bringing you the Word of God from Genesis this Sunday. Yeah, and that's something we're going to give a go. We'd love your feedback on that. And uh, we're just trying to do what we can through this this strange season where things are different um, to try and make sure that we're uh, doing whatever we can to, to keep help bring you the word of God and we, we sort of feel like in the, in the sort of video format um, discussion and, and a bit of back and forward it's sort of like the podcast here um, is helpful um, and so we're going to give that a go on Sunday see how it goes um, love, love your input and feedback as we, as we carry on and looking forward to Genesis we'll see you then alright see you then bye bye